Okay, so Isaiah, are you ready? Okay, let's turn to Isaiah, and we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 1. And uh, so this is great, because Isaiah is basically a book that comes to us in three sections. We have a first section, which we've just completed. We have a historic narrative, which is what we're going to start today. And then we have the last half of the book, which is chapter 40 through 66, which uh, has some of the most incredible uh, uh, Messiah prophecies in it, reminders of God's salvation that's coming. Uh, Some of your favorite verses are coming up in uh, these latter half, latter chapters of Isaiah, so, so those are coming. Um, but before we get there, uh, let's remind ourselves of where we've been. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, the vision of Isaiah. Or if you're from South Africa, Isaiah, right? You've heard that before. The son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw. Now here, here's why. In light of the Bible quiz you got last time, you might be thinking characters and what order do they come in and all that. So, so here you go. Uh, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Those are kings of Judah. So let's, uh, let's start there. Uh, the book of Isaiah, the span of the book of Isaiah, occurs over the political careers of four Judean kings. And that's what Isaiah just told us. We got these folks here, and I put the, uh, the years of their reign there so that you can... Um, uh, you can benefit from that. Now, you'll notice, those of you that are good at math uh, will notice right away that there's some overlap there. Uh, for example, you have Uzziah reigning to 739, but Jotham started in 750. You say, what's that all about? Well, remember, at this day and age, it was common for the son, the son of the king, who's going to be the next king, right, to assume sort of a co-regency with his father as dad's getting older. And uh, maybe you, some of you businessmen have done this before, or maybe you've done this in ministry where, you know, maybe you're going to retire or you're going to hand the reins over to the new uh, the new boss, the new manager, and so you bring him on in a partnership, a mentoring fashion for a few years and then hand it over uh, to the new guy. So that's kind of what goes on here in this part of, um, of uh, history. So that's that's what's going on. And uh, Isaiah tells us we have these four reigns. Now, you need to remember that the book of Isaiah is a prophecy, right? It occurs as God's message to the people, but that message to the people comes during a certain slice of history. So there are historic events going on, and Isaiah is living in that historical time, and he's giving his prophecy, which is why when you read Isaiah, there's some characters there, and you're like, well, who's Ahaz, and and who's Hezekiah? Well, we have to go to these historic books of the Bible to know something of the history. And we've, we've talked about this along the way. I just want to put these up here so you have them here. If you want to know the history behind the book of Isaiah, this is the section in your Bible you're going to read. As you know, Kings and Chronicles parallel each other in your Bible. They're both historic books that, that give similar information about similar people. Uh, some give details, others don't. But So if you want to read the historic account behind the book of Isaiah, that's where you're going to read. Okay. Now, with that in mind, uh, we're going to talk today about, uh, about a man named Hezekiah. Hezekiah is which king in Isaiah? Of the four, where does he come? 
He's the last one, okay? What other kings have we read about in Isaiah so far? Who's the main person we've read most about? Ahaz, okay? Now, you need to remember that because we're going to jump into some of these historic chapters today and read a little bit just to get a little running start. And, uh, and you need to remember Ahaz and then Hezekiah because as we come to the book of Isaiah, he's going to focus on this little narrative, this little story about Hezekiah. And if you don't remember what's going on leading up to Hezekiah, you're going to read this and go, so what? Okay, so we got, we have to kind of get a little bit of context here. So with that in mind, uh, holding your place in Isaiah, turn back with me to 2 Kings. And I want you to look with me at some of the history as we come up to this section, okay? 2 Kings chapter 14, and this is the history behind the book of Isaiah. Isaiah occurs concurrently at the same time with these events that we read in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And so we got to walk and, and, uh, and chew gum at the same time here, right, as we, we think about the historic part in Kings and Chronicles and the prophecy in the book of Isaiah. So in 2 Kings, are you there? 2 Kings chapter uh, 14, verse 1, we read, uh, well, let's look at, let's look at, uh, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 17, okay? Uh, so we have chapter, chapter 14, verse 17. It says, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoash, the son of... You get all, all your, uh, your uh, pronunciation practice here, don't you? Jehazah, the king of Israel. Now, the rest of the acts of Amaziah... Are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And uh, they conspired against him in Jerusalem and fled to Lachish, but they sent, um, excuse me, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there, and they brought him on horses, and he was buried at Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. And all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was sixteen years old, and made him king in the place of his father. Uh, Am Uzziah. So, who is this Azariah? Azariah is is a, another name for Uzziah. So this is the first king that we're interested in as we read about um, Isaiah. Okay, so this is where we see him come to power. Uh, the previous guy dies, and uh, so now he comes to power here and he begins to reign. And then as we read in into chapter 15. We have Uzziah, his reign over uh, Judah. So chapter 15, verse 1, in the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son, son of Amaziah, the king of Judah, became king. Remember, this is, this is Uzziah, okay? There's lots of Zs and Hs. I know, I know. But so Azariah is the other name for Uzziah. That was common to have variations on the name in that day. Now look at this, chapter 15, verse 2. How old was he when he became king? That's Alan's age, right? He's 16 when he comes to power. Uh, how'd you like to be king? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Tesla's for everybody, right? Okay, okay. Um, he was 16 when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecolia of Jerusalem. 
And he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Only the high places were not taken away. Remember, those are the altars that were set up where? In the high places, right? The high regions of the area to sacrifice to other gods. So Uzziah was a good king, the text says, but he didn't take down those high places that some of the more wicked kings prior to him had uh, had put up. Okay, so we so we read about that. Okay, flip down to chapter 15, verse 32. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years. Okay, so now we've got the reigns of Uzziah and Jotham. Okay, so that's that gets us a running start. Now flip the page to chapter 16. So 2 Kings 16, verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, became king. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did what? He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, what do we learn about in Isaiah that shows us that he didn't do what was right in the sight of the Lord? What did he do? That's right. Right. That's right. Remember the king of Israel um, came against him in his alliance against Ahaz, wanting the southern kingdom to join. And Ahaz went and said, ah, I'm being invaded. And Isaiah says, trust the Lord. You're the king of Judah. God has ensured your success. Trust him. Walk with him. And Ahaz says, I don't like that plan. And so he goes to the enemy. He goes to the king of Assyria and says, protect me. Right? And we saw that uh, back in the early chapters of Isaiah. Okay? So Ahaz uh, reigns. And what's interesting, a lot of the events that we've seen in Isaiah we see uh, that are alluded to in Isaiah, they are historically laid out for us here. Let me just uh, give you an example here, okay? So, um, uh, chapter 16, verse 10. Now, King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet uh, Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, and he saw the altar which was at Damascus, and King Ahaz sent to Urijah, the priest, the pattern of the altar and its model according to all its workmanship. So Urijah, the priest, built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. And thus Urijah, the priest, made it before the coming of King Ahaz from Damascus. Now, did you see what just happened? So Ahaz has sided with the Assyrian king. And so he goes to Damascus to meet the Assyrian king. And looks at the altar that this pagan Assyrian king has built. And in order to make the Assyrian king happy, he writes down all the measurements, gives it to his priest and says, go home and build this. So the priest is going to go home, get this, and build a pagan altar and put it in Solomon's temple. You see? That, that's what's going on here. And in fact, um, that was just part of it. So anyway, now what happens in chapter 17? In chapter 17, Israel and Samaria are captured. Remember the northern kingdom? 
uh, chapter 17, verse 6, in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and carried Israel away in exile to Assyria and settled them in Hala and Habor on the river Gozan in the cities of the Medes. Now, chapter 17, verse 7 tells us why did God allow Israel to fall? Now, this came about because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up from the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel and in the customs of the kings of Israel, which they had introduced. The sons of Israel did things secretly, which were not right against the Lord their God. And moreover, they built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city, and they set for themselves sacred pillars and asherim, those are the, the pagan goddesses, on every high hill and under every green tree, and there they burned incense on the high places as the, as the nations did, which the Lord had carried away to exile before them. And they did evil things provoking the Lord. Now, I'll just stop right there. You can understand why God did this now, right? That God rescued them out of paganism, out of their bondage in Egypt, way back in the time of Moses. And he opened up the promised land and destroyed the nations there so the people would go in and possess this land that God had promised, right? To Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And and, and going in, instead of taking the land, what did they do? They said, oh, um, we kind of like your gods. We kind of like your religion. We kind of like the way you do that. And they were led astray from their God by the culture around them. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, I'm pretty sure most of you don't have any Asherim in your sunroom at home or any you haven't built any high places up on your roof to where you sacrifice incense to the gods of uh, of uh, the Assyrians. Have you ever been distracted to false worship because of the culture that you and I live in? I'd say that's a 21st century problem, wouldn't you? We'll see about 5.30 this afternoon. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Yes. Yes. Chicking. Yes. Isn't that true? Because today, you don't go to Walmart and go, oh, look at the Asherim on aisle seven. I think I'll take home a 12-pack, you know, and we'll set them up all. That's not how we're tempted. But at 5.30 this afternoon, to use Jack's example, our well-being Right? For the week. How we treat our family. uh, The values that we hold for the week might be solely determined by the outcome of a football game. And there will be great weeping and gnashing of teeth this week. You know, depending on... He says, go Chiefs. All right. Yeah, see, he's proven my point. Um, Right? And it may not be that. It, it may be the deceitfulness of riches and the corporate ladder. It may be the promise of a relationship that you think will satisfy you. It may be that uh, I'm trying to control my family's health and they keep getting sick and that drives me. You know, pick one of any scenario where the culture around us distracts us 
and not just distracts us, but can actually lead us to giving our loyalty and allegiance to someone other than the Lord. And that's what's going on here. Now, what did God do because the culture had influenced his people away from loyalty and love to him alone? What did God do about that? He like, well, everybody deals with that. You know, try harder next time. Was that God's response? He annihilated the nation. Women and children, adults, soldiers, all killed. Many of them that didn't die were taken back to be slaves in one of the most brutal civilizations that history has ever known. You think the Assyrian Empire... You think the Taliban is bad, right? You think those Iranian terrorists that we read about a month ago, you think they're bad? Remember Assyria. Assyria was the nation that the prophet Jonah said, I can't believe you're showing mercy to them, God. Remember that? Remember Jonah has the hissy fit against God when God spares the city of Nineveh? Why? Because they were unspeakably wicked in how they lived, especially how they treated their enemies. I remember teaching through the book of Jonah years ago, reading the history. I had no idea. And, and I'll tell you what, I had to edit parts of my sermon manuscript because I'm thinking, I can't say this in church. It's too graphic. The things that they did, the Assyrians did to their enemies. That's what's going on here. And it highlights, guys, even for us today, how incredibly serious God views our allegiance to him. And how offensive to him it is when we give our heart and our affection and our loyalty and our love to something other than him. Even if it is a football game. So we see that here. Israel and Samaria are captured. Look at chapter 18, verse 1. Here we go. King Hezekiah begins his reign. Chapter 18, verse 1. Now it came about in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 20 years in Jerusalem. We learn about his mom's name there. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Now look at this, verse 4. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah, the, the goddesses, right? He also broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burnt incense to it. You remember that? Remember in Numbers? God told uh, Moses to build this bronze serpent, right, because of the disobedience. And when the people would look at the serpent, right, they would be healed. Well, guess what? The Israelites turned it into a relic. And they took that statue that was still here hundreds of years later, and they made it an object of worship to foreign gods. Right? So Hezekiah says, no more, he destroys the snake. Verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him, listen to this, there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord, and he did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 7, and the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He 
rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Remember, Ahaz had made the alliance. Hezekiah is going to undo that. And he goes on to talk about some of his military victories here. Okay, So that's the scene now. As we, as we come, uh, well, flip the page, just turn to the right to Second Chronicles. Let me just show you some of the things that, uh, that Hezekiah did. Look at Second Chronicles 29. We know he came in, he was a good king. Uh, the writer of, of Kings just told us there was no one like him. There wouldn't be any other king after him, just like Hezekiah. He walked in the Lord. God prospered his ways. He destroyed a lot of the pagan uh, temples and altars. He brought worship back to Yahweh. Let me just show you some of the things that, that Kings doesn't say that Chronicles tells us about, just to get an idea here. What did Hezekiah do? The first thing he did is he pulled all the Levites together and he consecrated the Levites. He came back and called the priests. Remember, the priests are in paganism. They're, they're facilitating false worship. He calls them to repentance and recommissions them to the worship of Yahweh. And then he has them in chapter 29, verse 20, restore worship to the temple because that had all gone astray because everybody's worshiping the false gods and no one's in the temple doing what they're supposed to do. So he gets the leaders together, the Levites, the priests, brings them together, gets temple operation back together. Verse Chapter 30, what does he do? He reinstates Passover, Right? He pulls the people together and says, we're supposed to be worshiping to the Lord and celebrating the Passover. So in chapter 30, verse 1, it says, Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month since they could not celebrate it at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient numbers. So what he's saying is they had to adjust the calendar a little bit because the priests weren't ready to do this. In 31, what do they do? 31 is is the, um, the, the blitzkrieg of annihilation here, where he sends the people out into the land to destroy every false altar, false god, false statue. Um, this is great. There's, there's lots of, lots of things that get broken in chapter 31 here, right? He broke the pillars in pieces, cut down the ashram, pulled down the high places and the altars through all Judah and Benjamin as well as Ephraim and Manasseh until, this is verse, chapter 32, verse 1, until they had destroyed them all. Hezekiah is cleaning house. Right? What's the bottom line? Look at chapter 31. We get the bottom line here. Chapter 31, verse 20. Are you there? Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God, in law and in commandment, seeking his God, look at this, he did with all his heart, and prospered. Now, is that a little bit of a contrast to the previous guy who was siding with the enemy and facilitating worship to false gods and encouraging the priests and, right? There has been massive reform, massive change, and things are looking up, right, for the, for the nation of Judah. Things are moving the right direction. And then, can you hear it? Dun, dun, dun. The background music comes in. 
And the Assyrian king says, who does this guy think he is? You can't do that. And he sends an army. The king of Assyria sends an army to attack Judah in light of what's happened. Now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Old Testament especially loves character contrast, right? We're going to look at this guy and this guy. What's, what's the, the greatest character contrast in, in the Bible? I don't know. You think of like King Saul versus King David, right? And, and uh, uh, 2 Samuel is all about that contrast, right? Remember Saul's running away from the enemy. Goliath is up, right? Remember Goliath, he comes up and he's mocking the God and he's mocking the Israelites and the soldiers. And Saul's like, well, I guess we just got to put up with him. He's big and strong. And, and David, the teenager, says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who mocks the armies of the living God? Where does he get off, right? And you're going, whoa, who's this guy? Who's the teenager who cares about God more than the king of Israel? Right? Character contrast. Now, here's the character contrast we're supposed to see. Ahaz has completely compromised. He's, he's a part of the problem, hasn't he? And so God raises up Hezekiah, and we're going to see a major difference. And this is, is this not what Isaiah is trying to help us to see? You can trust God and his promises, and God will protect you and prosper you, because you can bet your life on who he is and what he said. Or, you can trust your own judgment. You can do what seems right to you. You can side with the world's ways of protection, like, I don't know, the Assyrian nation, right? So you're going to see this contrast, and that's what Isaiah is setting up. Isaiah is trying to show us, this is what I've been talking about the whole book. Watch this, okay? That's where he is. So now with that, go, go to Isaiah now. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 36. With that, introdu- that was all introduction. Sorry, okay, so a little bit long. Uh, with that introduction, we, see, we, see, we, see, you didn't know all that happened, did you? You didn't know all that was happening in the background. That's why we need those historic books that, that we read alongside uh, the prophetic books like Isaiah. So all that happens between chapter 35 and chapter 36 of Isaiah. And so when we turn the page in Isaiah, here's what we read. Chapter 36, verse 1. Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, so he's been reigning for quite a while, hasn't he? Right? He's been doing these reforms. He's been tearing things down, reestablishing worship. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. Okay, so you've got Judah. Remember, that's the nation, right? And there's all these little cities that make up Judah. And here comes Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, the current Assyrian king, he brings his army and he starts coming up against all these different cities in the nation of Judah because he says, no one defies me like this. No one can defy the Assyrian king and get away with it. Remember Hezekiah? Hezekiah said, eh, we're not siding with you anymore. We're going we're gonna to worship the Lord. Now, when did that happen? The 14th year, we know from historic accounts that this happened in 701 B.C., and you know what else we know? We actually know a lot about Mr. Sennacherib. Um, in the ruins of Nineveh and other parts of Assyria, archaeologists have discovered Sennacherib's palace. Okay? And what's interesting is, 
uh, like most of the kings in that day, he was a bit stuck on himself. You know, nowadays uh, people take selfies, right? Right? In that day, you carved an image of yourself on the wall, or you got people to do that. So here, here's an image of Mr. Sennacherib. That, that's, that is what he looked like. We don't have a photograph, but we do have a carving from one of the walls of his palaces that was unearthed by archaeologists. We actually know a lot about Sennacherib. And uh, here's another carving from the wall. You can see him with his army and his chariot there. And uh, so here he comes uh, against the nation of Judah. Okay. Now, what's interesting here, where are we here? Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. Now, you'll look at chapter 36 again and verse 2. And the king of Assyria sent uh, Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem to King Hezekiah with a large army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the fuller's field. And then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. Then Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what is, by the way, that, that was the, the caption from the selfie that he took, the great king, right? That's his title. He gave himself this original title, the great king. Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what is this confidence that you have? I say your counsel and strength for the war are only empty words. So you get it? Sennacherib, the king, sends his general to the gate of Jerusalem, and he finds some of the the leading le, uh, the 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 leading um, uh, rulers who worked with Hezekiah. They give some of their names there: Eliakim, right? Shebna, the scribe; Joah, the, the recorder. And he pulls some of Hezekiah's mighty men together, and he says, uh, "What are you doing?" How can you trust in your God against the superpower nation of Assyria? And remember, remember Assyria is what? New Mexico, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, and all of Texas except part of the DFW area. That's the Assyrian Empire. And little Judah is what? DFW, Mansfield, downtown Dallas, and Benbrook. Just that little circle there. Okay? And you're going... And these guys come in and they go, are you out of your mind? Who, who are you, who are you trusting, right? What is this confidence that you have? And then your counsel and strength for the war are only empty words. What does he say? You must be bluffing. Right? Now, footnote. When you choose to trust the Lord and his word, in contrast to what the culture says you should do about a situation. What do people think sometimes? You're out of your mind. Right? When you, when you take your hard-earned money and send it to Shannon Hurley in Uganda, instead of making yourself more comfortable in retirement, people say, that's crazy. Right? When you take your vacation time and go on a mission trip to further the gospel. 
People say, but Florida is so nice. That cruise we went on was... People go, why, right? When you retire early to go on the mission field, right? When you when you sacrifice your time and effort to build into six-year-olds on Wednesday night who don't pay attention very well and don't have great attention spans and make messes and and have bathroom accidents and, and, and you spend time every week to share with them the gospel, right? When you don't go along with the corporate identity of your business that's cutthroat, that's all about, you know, you succeeding and, and if we, if we hurt any other co-workers in the process, well that's their problem, right? It's my career. When, when you actually care about people and relationships and not just your own success, people say, you're out of your mind, don't they? Well that's what, that's what they're saying. When you trust the Lord and when you stand on His promises and you do what is right, you should expect that the world says, you gotta be crazy. But can you see that that's normal here? That is the normal expected response of the people that the people of God should expect to receive when you trust your Lord and when you stand on his promises and you say, I don't care what the cultural precedent is, I'm going to trust him and do what he tells me to do. And that's what the people are saying here, right? So they come in, you're crazy, you've got to be out of your mind, what on earth are you doing um look at this now on whom do you rely verse five that you have rebelled against me behold you rely on the staff of this crushed reed even on egypt remember remember there had been alliance with egypt at that point from from ahaz and they're thinking well egypt's not going to help you right so Pharaoh, the king of egypt to all rely on him is like a a broken staff you lean on him and boom you end up on the ground right Verse 7, but if you say to me, we will trust in the Lord, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Right? So the Assyrians are noticeably confused. They see Hezekiah destroying all these uh, altars and all this sort of thing, and they're going... What are you doing? Isn't that the God you're supposed to rely on? So here's their solution. Verse 8. Now therefore come and... What does it say? What's 8, what's eight say? Make a bargain with my master, the king of Israel. He'll make you an offer you can't refuse. That ensures your security. That ensures your well-being. That ensures your peace. And, and you know. You've been there, Right? In a di- di- totally different situation. But you've been there where you have a promise from the culture, a promise from the God of this world that says, oh, this will ensure your family's uh, health, your, your family's security, your personal well-being, your personal success, but it's not the same as what God tells you. That's what's going on. Come make a bargain. If you are able on your part, uh, and I will, I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. He's kind of mocking them there, isn't he? How then can you repulse one official of the least of my master's servants and rely on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up with the Lord's approval against this land to destroy it? 
The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim and Shebna and Joah said to Rabshakeh, speak now to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. And do not speak with us in Judean in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. What's going on there? That's right. So the enemy comes in and they've studied the Judean dialect. So they're having this conversation in a language that all the people in Judah can hear. And, and Hezekiah's three, three boys say, um, can you talk to us in Aramaic? We don't want the other guys to hear what you're saying. Right? We don't want to set off a riot, a panic. Uh, so what do they do? Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean. <laughs> oh, that's what you want me to do? I'll just say it louder. And what do they do? Verse 14, thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me and each of his vine and each of his fig tree and drink each of these waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Verse 18, beware that Hezekiah does not mislead you, saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Right? And is that true? Assyria owns everybody else except Judah right now. And Rabshakeh says, um, how's trust been trusting in those other gods work for those other nations, right? And just to make his point, he's going to give us a laundry list. Let's talk about all these other gods, all these other countries, right? Let's talk about them. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of the... Uh, Separavim, that's hard to say. And when are they delivered? When have they been delivered by uh, Samaria from my hand? Remember that Samaria just fell. Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their land from my hand that the Lord would deliver Jerusalem from my hand? And how did the three leaders of Hezekiah respond? Right? They're like, Wow. What's going to happen? What would you do? Right? What does that sound like? Choose you this day whom you will serve. Right? No one can serve two masters. Um, I heard, did you hear in this, an echo of Nebuchadnezzar in this, How, didn't you? And what God is there that can stop me? Did you hear that? Like in Daniel? Oh, that's a setup, man. Isn't that a setup? What does the man of God do? His top leaders are panicking. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. The whole... Well, whoever was in that region, whoever was on the wall, guarding the wall, the people hear this threat. Don't, don't trust in Hezekiah. He's deceiving you. The Lord can't deliver you. I mean, just look. 
and, and rightly, this army general says, look at my king's track record. Do you want to be like all your neighbors? We're giving you the chance to live, right? We're, we're being nice to you. Turn away from your God. Turn away from your king. And trust in the king of Assyria. What's going to happen? Look at chapter 37, verse 1. What's Hezekiah do? And when the king Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes. He covered himself with sackcloth. And, and just by the way, for those of you that may be new Christians or, or maybe that, that's, what is, what is that all about? He tears his clothes and he puts on sackcloth. What, what is that? that? That's a cultural thing that emphasizes what? Mourning and grief, right? Where did he go? And he entered... Verse 1, where did he go? He went to the house of the Lord. Right? Then he sent uh, Eliakim, who was over the household of Sheb, uh, with uh, Shebna, the scribe and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection, for children have come to birth and there is no strength to deliver. Interesting, huh? We're going to die. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. So what does he do? What does Hezekiah do? He goes to seek the Lord. He calls the prophet of God and says, help. Will our God respond to this level of mockery upon his great name? Right? You can hear David from David and Goliath there. You can, you can hear Daniel and his three friends. And what God is there that can stop me? And this man turns to God. And, and not to not to go Sunday school, kids Sunday school on you here, but when you're at a crossroads in your life and you're dealing with fear and panic and struggle and I don't know what to do, what are we supposed to do? We Google it, right? Google has all the answers. I'm just going to... Right? That, that's what we do. When we should be doing what? Seeking the Lord first. The Lord first. Do you see? This is, this is the same message. This, this is what God wants, right? Walk humbly with me. Trust and obey like the hymn says, right? Lean on me and not your own understanding. This is the message of the Bible. And so he goes... Wouldn't this be a great movie, by the way? This would be a great, great feature film, wouldn't it? You know, someone needs to write the screenplay for this. I don't know that anybody's ever done that. I mean, this is great. You got this huge, huge army and surrounding empire, this little, teeny, tiny, little, smaller than a Metroplex deal, and you've had this 
this history of kings that have sided with the enemy and, and God raises up this godly man who says, we're not going to do this anymore. And he destroys all the pagans and the idolatry and the, the high places. And, and then the showdown, right? And what's he going to do? The, the, I was reading this this week. I couldn't put it down. And this is like a real page turner, isn't it? And then Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lashish. Let me show you what's going on here. Uh-oh. Did that just die? Oh, I'm sorry. Hang on. There we go. Let's go. I don't know if you can see that. It's kind of small. So this is, this is Judah, right? And these are all, remember, remember, um, chapter 36, verse 1 said, uh, Sennacherib came and he went against all the fortified cities. Well, these are all the fortified cities. Lashish is way down here. And that was one of the last, uh, places that were defeated. And you can see, here's the track, right? He comes in here, destroying, 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 on his way to Jerusalem. Now he's at the gates of Jerusalem. Okay? Uh, real quick here, guys, because I know this is tiny. It's hard to see. So all of these, all of these notes here represent different cities in Judah. So these are the cities that are mentioned in 36.1 that Sennacherib came against. So here's his path. He comes in here and he's destroying kind of on the west side, back and forth, back and forth. I mean, this is, this is like, you know, Hitler's blitzkrieg, right? Just boom, 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 coming through here. Lashish is way down here, and he's going to make his way up here to Jerusalem. And the chapter we just read, he's, he's at the gates of Jerusalem now threatening. So that's where he's at. Now, interestingly enough, let me get this here. So these are the ruins of Lashish, and we actually have carvings here. Uh, no, excuse me, not, not, not ruins of Lashish. These are ruins of uh, Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire, and these are carvings actually of his battle against Lashish. That's really remarkable. Uh, these Assyrian kings uh, kept very detailed records and in some cases carvings that demonstrated uh, their battles. And um, so, in fact, you're not going to believe this. So, how many have seen these before? You're thinking, is that something from Lord of the Rings? No, it's not. It's, it's older than that. Uh, these are um, what are called the prisms of uh, Sennacherib. Prisms. And they're, the, they're these, um, I think they're hexagons. Um, they're about that tall, about three feet tall. They're, they're actually a similar height as the Dead Sea Scroll jars, actually. But you can see... They've got six sides, and if you were to blow that up, what you would be reading is really, really, really old hieroglyphic language uh, called Akkadian. It's old language. It's sort of related to, to Hebrew, um, but it's one of the, one of the languages that they, they use that day. And on each side of these pillars are accountings of all the cities defeated by Sennacherib. And you want to hear this? The 46 cities that made up the nation of Judah, referenced right here in your Bibles, are found on these pillars. 
we have more extra-biblical evidence from archaeology about Sennacherib and the Assyrian Empire than most other civilizations talked about in the Bible. Now, you know what's interesting? This is the, the great part. So all of the, you know, Lachish is on here and all, all the, do you know what city is not on here? Jerusalem. Yeah. And in fact, Sennacherib writes an account and, well, I don't want to ruin the story for you because we, we, we have ruined it. But, but Sennacherib actually writes here and, and says he gets to Jerusalem and he held up King Hezekiah. Hezekiah is actually mentioned by name in these. And he held him up, Sennacherib's words, like a caged bird. Well, we'll see about that. Because the bottom line is, it was the one city he couldn't defeat. Huh. You've got this incredibly powerful nation that has taken over every other ounce of territory in this region. And there's one teeny tiny little city in Judah that you can't take over, oh, Mr. Sennacherib. Why not? Well, the Bible tells us why. Because Hezekiah trusted the Lord. And when this happened, he went to the house of God and he called the prophet. And he came, look at verse 14. Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. O Lord of hosts, what's that? That's God's military title. O Yahweh, King of kings and Lord of lords, God of all the armies of heaven. O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to all the words of Sennacherib who sent them to reproach the living God. Finally a king who gets it. This is, this is David the teenager going up against Goliath. Who is the uncircumcised Philistine who mocks the armies of the living God? You can't do that. You can't say that. Who do you think you are? Notice, what does Hezekiah make the issue? It's not, oh Lord, we're going to die, save us. It's not, look at all the things I've did in, in, in your name, Lord, right? Remember, I took out the Asherim and I took off the high praises. What is it? Lord, have you heard with your ears what this king has said against you in your name, right? O oh Lord, the king, kings of Assyria have devastated all the countries and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands. That's why, that's why they were defeated, right? They weren't really gods at all. Wood and stone, and so they have destroyed them. Now, O oh Yahweh, our God, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Yahweh, are God. 
That's a man who trusts the Lord. That's a man after God's own heart, isn't it? Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. 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 Now what is it? There you go. All right. Yeah, that's a that's a good observation. Yeah. So he's including himself more in it, isn't he? Yeah. That is significant. When you're in danger, and when you're struggling with a decision. And when you feel threatened, when you're struggling, is this, is this the perspective? This is mostly about the reputation of my God and His name, our God. That we would trust Him, that we would want to honor Him and, and make Him look glorious, even more than, ah, I need to get my way. Wow. Well, what a what a contrast from what we've seen in the previous kings. He's turned to God. He's making it about God's name and his deliverance. What's going to happen? We'll have to come back next time and find out. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this story and what a marvelous reminder of what it looks like to trust you. Uh, Lord, thank you for Mr. Hezekiah who demonstrates in the face of great, incredible, overwhelming fear and danger that this must have been, how to humbly trust you and to walk with you. Um, Lord, I pray that we would learn from this that in the day of our distress, the day of our trouble, that we would humble ourselves and come to you more than we go to anything or anyone else and that we would demonstrate a trust and a rest in you, recognizing that uh, this is about your name. Would you help us to live for your name uh, the way that we see Mr. Hezekiah demonstrating here? And we're eager, Lord, to see how when your people trust you and walk with you, how we see you provide and deliver and come through uh, in such amazing ways. So thank you, Lord, for this story. We're eager to continue to learn from it. Lord, help us uh, to walk with you like this this week. In Jesus' name, amen.